We're going to read now from God's Word and we're turning to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 18, and we're reading from verse 9 to verse 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, we're continuing on this morning with the sermon series we started a few weeks ago. It's from Luke's Gospel, and the title of the series is Jesus, the Master Storyteller. It may well be that some of you have really got into stories over the course of this lockdown. Maybe some of you have been binge-watching some series or other on Netflix. Maybe some of you have even had a whole stack of novels on your bookshelf, and you've decided to take this opportunity to try and tick some of them off. If that's you, if you've been watching Netflix or if you've been reading novels, you'll be well aware that all stories are different. Some stories are very, very predictable. As soon as they start, you can see exactly where they're going and you know exactly where they're going to end. Other stories, I would say better stories, have got all sorts of twists and turns. Some stories can take you by surprise. In fact, I would say that the best stories can sometimes be like a punch to the gut. The last episode, or the last chapter, it takes you by surprise, and it leaves you thinking about it for a long time afterwards. Jesus is the master storyteller, and over the course of this series we are looking at some of his stories. They are incredibly short, they are extremely simple, and yet there is nothing predictable about these stories. In fact, the stories that Jesus tells are often like a punch to the stomach. They take us by surprise. And the story that we're looking at this morning is certainly no different. And what we want to do this morning is we want to try and get the full force of what Jesus is saying. And so in order to do that, we're going to have to go back in time... We want to pretend that we haven't read the story just now. We want to pretend that we've never heard the story again. And we want to pretend that we're sitting there. We're we're listening to Jesus telling this story for the very first time. We're sitting on the edge of our seats. We're following the twists and the turns. We're waiting to see what happens next. Now, this story, you could sum up by saying it's about opposites. Three different opposites, in fact. There's two different men, two different prayers, and then two different results. And we want to look at those opposites or those differences together. So the first thing we want to see, two men. Now, Jesus begins the story in verse 10 by telling us that two different men went to the temple to pray. 
One of those men is a Pharisee, the other is a tax collector. And that is exactly why we need to try and step back in time. We need to try and imagine what was going on in the people's heads when they heard Jesus telling this story. You see, for us, a Pharisee is almost like a bad word. Pharisees, they're almost like pantomime villains, aren't they? As soon as they come onto the scene, you start to boo, you start to hiss, because these are the bad guys. But that's not the way it was in Jesus' day. The first people who heard this story would have had a very different reaction from us. To a lot of people, the Pharisees were heroes. These men made it their mission to take a stand against the moral decay of society. These men made enormous sacrifices to avoid getting sucked in. They completely devoted themselves to studying God's word. In fact, I'm told that these men would have memorized the entire Old Testament. We need to see that if we were listening to Jesus for the very first time back then, the Pharisees were the good guys. And so when Jesus says that one of these Pharisees went to the temple to pray, nobody is even remotely surprised. Now the reaction would have been very, very different when Jesus said who the second man was. He was a tax collector. And I wonder at that point, would there have been a gasp or several gasps in the crowd? Jesus might as well have said that there were two animals that took off and flew into the sky. One was a bird, the other was a pig. Because if a tax collector goes to the temple to pray, well then a pig might as well fly. Tax collectors did not do that. Tax collectors in those days were the scum of the earth. And you might think that's harsh. But let me give you a couple of reasons why. The first reason why tax collectors were the scum of the earth is that they worked with the Romans. Now the Roman army had marched into Israel years before. They had slaughtered thousands and thousands of Jews. They had even desecrated the Holy of Holies inside the temple. And so I want you to try and imagine you're somebody living in Israel at this time. Imagine that sick feeling you would get in the pit of your stomach when you look out onto the streets and you see these filthy, savage, Gentile soldiers. And then imagine that not only have these soldiers killed some of your countrymen, but your taxes have paid for the privilege of having them there. You see, the tax collectors, they were effectively paying the salaries of these Roman soldiers. They were traitors. You know, the closest equivalent I can think of would be maybe the collaborators in France during World War II. Those people who were more than happy to cooperate with the Nazis because it meant they got special treatment. And then, whenever the war was over... They were absolutely despised because there were some people who had gone hungry rather than helping the enemy. Well, the tax collector was just like that. He was a traitor. And it gets worse. The second reason why the tax collectors were so despised is they were really incredibly wealthy. Yet to be perfectly honest, these tax collectors, they were more like mobsters. They would pay a certain sum to the Romans, it's a bit like a tender process, that would give them the right then to collect taxes and they could then keep whatever money they collected. And these tax collectors, they had enormous scope 
to tax basically anything they wanted. They could tax the crops you grew, they could tax the house you lived in, they could tax the produce you bought at the market, they could tax you for travelling along certain roads, they could tax you for using certain bridges. These men, they got into bed with these soldiers who had shed Jewish blood, and they did it so they could become leeches and bleed their countrymen dry. They were the scum of the earth. You know, Jesus, he might as well have said a minister and a drug dealer went to the church to pray, or a bishop and a pimp went to the church to pray. You see, on the space of just one verse, Jesus has got us on the edge of our seats. This is a surprising story. So the first thing we see is two men, but the second big difference we see, two prayers. Let's start with the Pharisee's prayer. His prayer starts really well. He says, God, I thank you. But that's just the start. It goes downhill very quickly after that, doesn't it? God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like robbers or evildoers or adulterers or even like this tax collector. You you can imagine the swagger, can't you, as this man walks up to the temple. You can imagine that insincere, put-on look of piety on his face. You can imagine him looking around the temple, trying to find the most prominent spot where he can stand so that everybody knows he's there. You can imagine him puffing out his chest. You know, one writer says he came strutting into the presence of God, reeking with self-complacency. I don't know if you're maybe familiar with the concept of a humble brag. It's something you sometimes see on social media. Basically the idea is you write something that in theory is showing humility, but in practice it's very, very boastful. Uh, So for example, a celebrity might say something like this. They might say, oh, I can't believe I have just been awarded the, uh, the most heroic person of the year award. I'm just not worthy. I just really don't deserve this. And in theory, they're showing humility. They're saying they don't deserve it. But in practice, you know exactly what they're trying to do, don't you? They're drawing attention to their achievement. And that's a bit like what the Pharisee's doing. In theory, he is thanking God. In theory, he is giving God all of the credit. But in practice, he's bigging himself up. I mean, look at what he prays. It is unbelievably self-centred. I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of what I get. You know, if this man had a wife, I have to say I feel very, very sorry for her. Because he's absolutely insufferable, isn't he? To be perfectly honest... This isn't even a prayer at all, is it? Yes, he starts with God, but starting with God, that's like the formality he has to get out of the way, because after the very first word, he never mentions God again. In fact, the language that Luke uses is really, really interesting. We're told the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. But as you can see from the footnotes, that could also be translated as he began to pray to himself. 
It's not a prayer at all. It's a complete and utter farce. Now, we do want to make sure we're outraged by the right thing here. There is no indication whatsoever that the Pharisee is lying. In fact, he's telling the truth. He's not like a robber. He certainly isn't a traitor or a crook like the tax collector who's sitting over there. In fact, there is a great deal to commend the Pharisee for. He fasts twice every week, even though the requirement was only to fast once per year. He gives a tenth of everything he has, even though the requirement was only to give a tenth of certain things. You know, if this man was about today, he would be at every single church service, he'd be at every single prayer time, every single outreach event, he'd be putting out the chairs before church, he'd be washing the toilets after church, he would be the very first person to volunteer to give out leaflets on the street. In fact, if this man was around today and you were to give him a birthday present, I think he'd ask you for a receipt. Not so he can return it, but so he can work out what 10% of the value is so he can put that into the offering plate. Now, it's good to be diligent, of course it is. But the problem is, the way this man views God is really, really insulting. He thinks that God is like a bank manager. And if he can just make enough deposits, then he's going to be in credit. But that is not the way it works. God doesn't want us to deposit our good works in the bank of heaven. That's not how it works. And anyone who says that is how it works is misrepresenting God and they're insulting God. God deserves more than being treated like a bank manager. God deserves for us to love him with all of our hearts and all of our souls. God deserves for us to love him more than we love ourselves. And I have to say, I don't love my bank manager like that. This Pharisee is congratulating himself for all of these sins he's avoiding. And the simple fact is, he is committing by far the greatest sin in the whole world. This man has no idea of just how lost he is. He thinks that he is walking far enough along the road of salvation that he's going to be okay, but he has no idea that he's not even on the right road to begin with. This isn't how it works. You can't twist God's arm like this. That's the first prayer. Pharisee, or the Pharisee's prayer is the first prayer. The tax collector's prayer, on the other hand, well, it couldn't be more different. The Pharisee puffs out his chest. The tax collector beats his chest. The Pharisee looks down on other people. The tax collector looks down to the ground. It's interesting what the tax collector doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, I thank you, God, that I'm not as bad as some other tax collectors. He doesn't say that. He says, God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. In fact, in the original Greek, uh, what he actually says is, God have mercy on me, the sinner. He is so broken and so ashamed by his sin that as far as he's concerned, he may as well be the only sinner in the entire world. He's a broken man. 
And his prayer is incredibly short, isn't it? Must be the simplest prayer in the history of the world. In fact, it's a bit like an SOS transmission in the middle of the ocean. God, have mercy on me. Doesn't ask for anything else. One writer said this. He asked for God's mercy because mercy was the only thing he dared ask for. A very different prayer. So we've seen two different men. We've seen two different prayers. Third thing we see, two results. Now if we're not shocked by what we're about to see, we're missing the point of this story. One of these men is a minister. A man of God. A man who preaches sermons and leads Bible studies. The other man is Tony Soprano. He buys flash cars because he can afford it, because he shakes you down and he takes your hard-earned cash. And yet Jesus tells us in verse 14, it's the gangster rather than the minister who goes home justified. Now, that word justified, what that means is God pardons his sins and he accepts him as righteous in his sight. But of course the question is, how can this possibly be the case? Well, the first thing we need to understand is it's not as if God has some sort of grudge against Pharisees. Either of these two men could have gone home justified. In fact, both of these men came to exactly the right place to find that justification. They were both in the temple. The temple was the place where animals were sacrificed. Now, it's not that animals did anything to take away sin, but what animals did do was they pointed forward to the person who could. These animal sacrifices were getting the people ready for what Jesus was going to do on the cross. He would be the final sacrifice that really takes away sins. And so anybody could go to the temple and they could throw themselves on the mercy of the Messiah. So both these men came to the right place to receive mercy. But the Pharisee got things disastrously wrong. The Pharisee is a bit like a man who has a serious illness. And he's got different symptoms. um, But he goes to the doctor. Doesn't tell the doctor about any of the symptoms he's been experiencing. He just spends half the time talking about how fit he is. How many marathons he runs. How he always eats his five a day. And then he spends the rest of the time talking about the people in the waiting room. And saying how sick they look and how they must be in a really bad way. It's a waste of time. There is a cure that is there to be had. But he won't accept that he needs the cure in the first place. The tax collector on the other hand, he couldn't be more different. He knows he's sick. He knows he needs a cure. And so he pleads for that cure. This tax collector flings himself on the mercy of God. He trusts in the Messiah. He trusts that God has said the Messiah will die in his place. And therefore, he goes home justified. The two men experience very different results. Now, I do think it's important to realise at this point that these two men would have felt very different as they left the temple. 
I'm sure the Pharisee was probably every bit as smug and every bit as confident when he left as he was when he came in. And I'm sure the tax collector was every bit as aware of the gravity of his sin. Now, if the question was which man feels most justified, it's probably the Pharisee. But that is not the question. The question is which man is actually justified And the answer is one that no one saw coming. You know, as I thought about this passage in this past week, I thought to myself, could it be that one of the most dangerous things it is possible to do is to watch the news? Because whenever you watch the news, you hear about all sorts of horrible things, don't you? You hear about violence and lies and bribery and brutality. And it's very easy whenever you watch the news and you hear about what other people have done, it's very easy to pat yourself in the back, isn't it? And say, well, at least I'm not like that. And all the while, we can be pointing our finger at those sins and we can be committing the most serious sin of all, can't we? We can be living as if we don't need God. Or we can be doing what this Pharisee did. We're paying God lip service but nothing more than that. One of the dangers of looking down on other people is that we never see the sin and the guilt within our own hearts. I wonder, is that you this morning? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 9 who this parable is for. Those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. I wonder, is this parable a wake-up call for you? I wonder, is this parable something that you desperately need to hear? What matters is not how much good you've done. It's not how much better you are than other people. It's not how many services you watch on YouTube. It's not how much money you give. It's not how many prayers you say. The one and only thing that determines whether you're justified or not justified is whether you have recognised the overwhelming scale of your sin, and then whether you have thrown yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Maybe you have. Maybe you are throwing yourself on Christ's mercy. Maybe you have pleaded with him and you are pleading with him to pardon your sins, and to make you righteous in God's sight. I want you to know this morning, what really matters is not how you feel. What really matters is what Christ says. Those feelings of guilt, they don't determine whether you are justified or not. It is the facts that matter. And the fact is, Jesus Christ has died. He has dealt with the sins of his people. And there is justification because of what he has done. And so you need to look beyond your feelings. And you need to look to the facts. Facts like this, Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Psalm 103 verse 12. 
As far as the east is distant from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Those are the facts for you, if your prayer is the same as this tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for the mercy, the justification that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you because he is the final sacrifice. We praise you because he is the one who takes away the sin of his people. Father, we praise you because no matter what we have done, no matter how we have lived, no matter how we have robbed you of the glory that is rightfully yours, we praise you because there is forgiveness to be had. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to throw ourselves at the feet of the Saviour. Help us never to make the mistake of this Pharisee. Help us never to think that we can make enough deposits and that way we can get our account into the black. Help us, Father, to realise that there is not a single thing we can do to save ourselves. And so we need the Saviour from start to finish. Father, we pray that as we look to him for mercy, that you would help us. We pray that you would help us to, and to fix our eyes on the facts. We pray that you would give us a firm confidence, those of us who have turned to him, that our sins have been dealt with. And we pray then that as we recognise that our sins have been dealt with, we pray that you would fill us with thanksgiving as we think of all that our Saviour has done for us on the cross. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.